raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with your hosts, John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Here we focus on helping men and those with men in their lives solve some of life's complex challenges through understanding the practices of mindfulness and how they can help. Each episode is in an environment free of judgment and criticism with a focus on authenticity and inner peace. Let's dig in. As a leader and as a parent, what greater gift can I give to those around me than my presence and my focus? Being present in my conversations, present in my decision-making, my leadership at home and at work is rooted in the power of connection, which builds trust. No matter what role is center stage, we need connection before we give direction. This is a quote from my friend, 2017 TEDx talk, retired United States Air Force <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel, combat veteran, and PhD, <laughs> Dr. Janelle McCauley. Welcome back to the Men Talking Mindfulness Show. I'm John McCaskill, retired Navy SEAL commander, term mindfulness and meditation teacher here in Colorado Springs. And my co-host over there is Will Schneider, a yoga and mindfulness teacher in New York City. Here on the Men Talking Mindfulness Show, we dive deep into raw and real conversations about mental health, personal growth, and the journey of self-discovery. Now, you're wondering, how can mindfulness improve my life, enhance my leadership roles, and create a more harmonious workplace? Well, this is exactly what we're gonna be talking with Janelle about today. So why do you wanna to listen to Janelle? Well, here's a little background. Dr. Janelle McCauley is a combat veteran who served 20 years in the United States Air Force as a pilot, commander, special operations consultant, and professionalism instructor. With her innovative leadership style, she was the first leader to introduce mindfulness as a proactive performance strategy within the United States military. She continues to consult with the DOD, DOJ, and corporate America delivering keynotes and high performance warrior mindset training program called Warrior's Edge, which she developed with Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks and Dr. Michael Gervais. She is a TEDx speaker and mother of two who is on a mission to help individuals excel in high stress and rugged environments by showing them how to lean in into each moment to find their best selves. And though it isn't part of her official bio, she was featured along with three other amazing women in the Rolling Stone magazine for being part of a mission that destroyed 1,200 tons of poisonous gas in Syria and in doing so, helped avert a global showdown and saved an untold number of lives. Wow. Which I understand is possibly being made into a movie, which we may be able to talk <laughs> about later. And also at some point, Janelle is gonna tell us about her, her stint in uh, California Miss Teen, where her talent was juggling machetes. <laughs> so all that said, we are thrilled to have you with us, Janelle. Thank you so much for joining us. We are very excited to get into this show. And we're also, for our audience, very excited to have you here with us. Thank you for tuning in, for sharing our podcast, and for helping us grow and for becoming more mindful. Now, that 
all out of the way. I'm going to turn it over to my brother from another mother, Will, to lead this opening practice to calm us all down. Because now, after reading that intro, we're all super excited. I know. I'm a little bit like, oh, my God, this esteemed guest. I'm a little nervous because, wow. I mean, just the machete juggling and the Rolling Stone magazine and Miss Teen and saving lives in Syria. Like, just so impressive. Thank you for being here, Janelle. Let's calm it all down. We're just going to do uh, three breaths. We're going to do a parachute breath. We're going to inhale, like kind of take a, uh, a swift inhale and exhale very slowly out. Easy, easy, long, long, long exhales. Let's do a couple more. In, slow, de deliberate, long exhale. And see if we can melt more of your body into this space as you exhale. Last one, in. Let it go. And we'll do one more for a little bit of a bonus. In. Let it go, let it go. Okay, let's just sit silent for just a moment and just feel that silence, that stillness, just for sometimes we don't take these moments in our lives to take a couple breaths and really you can just take this moment also feel that experience of just a few breaths and how it can make us feel and help how it can help us to ground relax be more present be more connected to ourselves and uh, when you're ready you can make some movements if you like put a little smile on your face and let's uh, enjoy this interview yeah. and conversation with janelle thank you for being we here janelle. to do an extra breath there i'm pretty sure it's <laughs> this weekend that Navy plays Air Force in football, and we had to do that extra breath for Navy to beat Air Force because <laughs> we lost last year. <laughs> and, yeah. and if you don't you know, have to do a few extra ones. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> well played, well played, touche. All right. So, yeah, if you don't know, Janelle is an Air Force Academy grad. I'm a Naval Academy grad, so we've got that rivalry going, but we're uh, we're friends aside from that. So. Uh, Janelle, <laughs> in your personal journey. It's a healthy rivalry. And I, I just want to say I'm very honored to be on your show. Um, I just love what you guys are doing, and I'm excited for this conversation. Awesome. Well, we're, we're honored to have you here, and we, we too are excited about this show. So let's get into it. So uh, your, your personal journey. Uh, I know this because I've interviewed, interviewed you before, but uh, we have a different audience now. So can you share a little bit about your personal mindfulness journey and how it aided your military career absolutely i think i am like many uh, academy graduates or individuals that kind of grow up in households where they're inspired to serve and find a cause bigger than themselves you know i grew up in a family of public servants marine corps um, a helicopter pilot was my for my uncle. Both my grandfathers served. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. So I definitely felt that calling to serve. Um, but I also had this uh, distinct drive to make a difference. And so they paired very well together because a lot of service-based individuals also have that commitment and drive um, to make the world a better place. And that's definitely how I started out. But it was, I call it an incomplete strategy because it set me on the path to success, but it also set me on the path of success that led to burnout. Mm. And mm. 
I originally thought that it was unique to me. Like I was the only one that struggled with these types of things. And what I thought, what I figured out as I became a leader is that it was not unique. There were a lot of people who suffered from this same desire to serve and to be their best selves, but also to find like a stickiness in that journey and a lack of joy in the day-to-day struggle. And so once I kind of discovered that this was not unique to me, it was it was something that I could actually solve, not just for me, but for more people. Um, I really had the opportunity in the, when the Air Force sent me back to school to dive into the research and um, really study this concept of being able to perform in high stress environments and also thrive in those moments, especially, you know, enjoy the struggle a little bit because most of us high performers do like that space. Um, but a lot of times it does lead to, you know, a sort of misery in our lives. You know, we'll be at the moment of victory or success and still feel lost. And I kind of described it as myself in this space where from outside looking in and for all intents and purposes, people would have thought, oh, she has it all, right? She's got great family. She's a military spouse and her husband is successful. You know, two great kids, like my career was going well. I was doing all the hard things I wanted to do in my life. But I found myself in a space where honestly, I forgot how to laugh. And I lost sight of all the love that was right in front of me. And I was so busy trying to be perfect at everything that I did. I don't know if there's other recovering perfectionists out there. This guy. (laughs) Yeah, right. I forgot that there's growth and learning within imperfection. And I lost myself and I went searching for an answer. Um, and that's where what led me to this research around human performance and thriving in stressful environments. And what I really found is we can train three things as human beings. We can train our body, we can train our craft, and we can train our mind. And up until that point, no one had exposed me to the concept of training our minds. So that's really where I started doing the work for myself and realized it had such an impact in my journey. I wanted to share it as a leader. And that's kind of uh, where I started, you know, incorporating these skill sets into my leadership, you know, leading myself first and then leading others with these skills. And, um, you know, I didn't really know what I was walking into except for the fact that I believed it was the right thing to do. Um, I knew that uh, sharing these things with others and the people that I led would unlock, you know, their potential as much as it was unlocking mine. And so that's kind of where the journey started. Self-necessity. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, right. What was yeah. some of that, the, the, you know, those early practices, like what was the one practice that kind of turned the light bulb on or was there a moment for you that kind of, you know, things started to, you know what I'm saying? It was, you know, that moment, if you can explain it or describe it to our audience would be great. Yes. The best way I can describe it, it really was mindfulness, right? That was the core skill set that I learned that changed my life and then really enabled me to build on all the other skill sets, the psychological mental prehab, I would call it, that has helped me continue to do hard things and then also create cultures around that concept. Um, and, And the way I think mindfulness worked so successfully in my life is because it directly affects the way we make decisions, especially under stress, right? We all know you should eat right. 
we all know you should sleep more and you should love more and connect more and get out in nature and, you know, all these like not stress out over the little things. But in practice, uh, it's easy to do when you're on a retreat or you're, you know, on a mountain side. You know, I used to take off my skis and just plop down and meditate at the top of the mountain. It's really easy to do in places like that. It is extremely difficult to do when you're flying in a combat zone, when you're leading people, when you're just in the carpool lane trying to drop your kids off at school. <laughs> That's the most stressful place I've been. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And so I kind of really think that what mindfulness unlocked for me was the ability to create space for making more rational decisions in all aspects of my life, in all moments of my life. And that's that was life-changing for me. Well, let's let's talk about the, those high stress environments, right? Like like the the combat missions, corporate America, or the carpool lane, right? So, yeah. the, how how can the mindfulness techniques be effectively used in high stress environments? Well, the first thing I teach is it has to be a deliberate practice. Um, I teach the concept of mindfulness being mental push-ups, just like you would train your physical body to do hard things and meet the demands of a moment in a stressful environment. You have to train your mind and prepare your mind for that as well. So just, you know, like we do our physical workouts, we do our mental workouts. And so it has to be something you do um, intentionally and ahead of time. It's not like I'm flying my plane in a combat zone, get a, you know, anti-aircraft artillery um, threat, you know, my flares go out and then all of a sudden as I'm defensively maneuvering, I have to think to myself, oh, I should practice mindfulness. <laughs> right? not, no, not the time late. to start. <laughs> yeah, too late. So it's something you do have to train and prepare for, um, you know, and I really think the sweet spot is 10 minutes a day. If you look at the research and the maximum benefit and then what I have found in my practice of what high performers will actually commit to, right? It <laughs> right, kind of like right. it crosses right at 10 minutes. And um, I try to meet people where they're at and give them two different options. You can do those 10 minutes in one sitting or, you know, this technique that I find to be very effective in my life is the mindful minute. You know, if I can do one minute of push-ups 10 times a day, then I can create a longer period of mindful awareness throughout my experience. And so that's the idea, right? You do these things ahead of time so that when you're in the combat zone, you're in the carpool lane, you're in that corporate environment having to make decisions, you've done the prehab and the prep work um, so that in the moment you would do what I would call a tactical pause. It's a crisis action way to use your mindfulness. And that is just stop, breathe, and refocus. And you know that's something that is a skill set that can be cultivated through that deliberate practice of mindfulness. Well, for me, I know when I first got it told that I should try mindfulness because I was stressed out and because I was anxious and I was struggling with different things, I, I laughed in the, the counselor's face because I was like, man, I don't want to do this hippy-dippy woo-woo stuff. <laughs> I, like I've got some serious things going on. And now that I'm teaching that, that is something that I encounter quite often from the other side, right? Now I'm teaching it and I see the faces when I first stand up and I'm like, oh, I'm here to talk about mindfulness. Like, oh gosh, what is this, you know? For, yeah. for a company or a team that's new to mindfulness, um, where should they start and how do you overcome that skepticism for them to adopt it? 
Well, you start with yourselves, and that's something I teach leaders all the time. You know, a lot of them will say, oh, um, I'm going to create space for people on my team to do mindfulness, mindfulness or mental push-ups. I'm not going to do it, but I will allow them the space to do it, right? I, I totally support their effort. Right. Um, that's not going to work, right, culturally in your organization, and it's not really going to become a part of your leadership where the benefit of the practice you know, will seep into the culture. Uh, so you have to start with yourself. It's an individual individual journey. And I have found the way to get people to start for themselves is first, there's a lot of compelling science. A lot of people want to see the data. Uh, yeah. There is research from not only, you know, healing people's psoriasis, improving their relationships, like improving your sleep quality, decreasing emotional eating, right? If you're more connected, I mean, we could go on and on about um, the research, but it's not just inside well-being and decision-making for the individual. We are now really com finding some compelling research in this space of, you know, organizational change, like performance-based results and the hard things we want to do in our life. And then also mindfulness being like a protection for your brain for future trauma, right? Like if you, the more you practice mindfulness, you, we all know we're going to be exposed to some type of emotional or psychological trauma in the future. It's just a part of our human life in this world, you know, modern world we live in today. So whether that's a combat zone you have in your future or just, you know, adversity and life sucks, you know, things <laughs> that are going to happen to you. And I like to say we as human beings do thing, hard things either by chance or by choice, right? I choose to go in a combat zone and do something really hard, but then I could also just have some shitty thing happen to me in my life. And so am I prepared for both those circumstances? And I think that the research is very compelling that mindfulness is a core skill set, not the only one, right? There's a lot of other things I think that go into overall resiliency and performance, but it's a core skill set for even attempting to get after the hard things in our life. In your uh, in the quote in the beginning, and uh, just to go a little bit deeper into mindfulness and that self that you talked about, and developing that relationship to yourself, how does that um, help to, or does it develop more trustworthiness within yourself? And then, how does that bring more trust into an organization as you begin to trust yourself? Because I, I, that's such a, I love that you put that in that you know in that in that TED talk because you know that trust is so. I feel we let ourselves off the hook so easily or, or we kind of don't trust ourselves because we don't have that intimate relationship with ourselves. We don't get to know our breath and and understand that we have the ability to to self-regulate, to self-master. So uh, let's dive into trust for a second because I think it's important for everyone to hear about what it can, how mindfulness can take us to that place and what that trust does for us internally and then as a leader and within an organization. I love that you pivoted to trust because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> they, so most people think of trust in this interpersonal trust. Do you trust me? Do I trust you? Which is extremely important. In fact, and I, I think where mindfulness helps us with interpersonal trust, you know, I told a story in my TED Talk where, you know, Many of us leaders are just in this go, go, go hustle mentality. You want to be present, but you're thinking about the email that you have to write, or you're thinking about the tasker that you have to work on later that day. So that even when we're having a conversation with someone, we've all had that experience where you're sitting with your boss and you're talking, and then you think to yourself, they're looking at me, but they aren't. <laughs> 
listening at all. I've right? been on the other side of that too. I've been the boss where my mind is like, right? I've, I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. Right, and yeah. probably yourself unintentionally like, oh my gosh, I'm not paying attention. Oh yeah. None of us intentionally sit down with someone and say, hey, I'm not gonna listen. It's just that we are highly distracted by the things that are, you know, trying to take our attention away to the tune of like almost half your waking moments, right? You're not paying attention to what's going on in front of you because our minds love mental time travel, right? They love to go on that iPod in our brain and think and fast forward and rewind. And so it's (laughs) really, right, you get connection when you are on the play button. And I, you know, used to do things as a commander, like, you know, no email Fridays, which meant I didn't sit behind my desk at all on Friday. I wasn't checking email. There were no meetings. Friday was about being out and about getting to know and connecting with the people that I worked with in a very present way. Um, You know, writing handwritten notes to people is another way to like build that interpersonal trust and and connection. Um, And then my favorite way was to do things like call uh, someone special when an airman or an individual that worked for me, um, maybe they got you know a coin for their great work or a promotion or an award, I would also always call someone or I'd offer to call someone in their lives. And I, over the course of my command, called brothers, sisters, grandparents, parents, um, children, you know, aunts and uncles of the people that worked for me. And this one particular airman that got selected below the zone to his next rank. He said, let's call my dad. And so I used to call, you know, ask them for their telephone numbers, but no one answers strangers phone numbers nowadays. Right. right? (laughs) So I started this thing where I was like, Hey, you pull out your phone. Let's call that someone special right now. And then that person would also get to be part of the conversation. And so this one time I called this airman's dad and um, got to brag on him a little bit, which was fun. And at the end of the conversation, the dad said, I'm so proud of you. I love you, son. And as we were hanging up, I looked up at my airman and he just had these tears like streaming down his face. And he said, my dad has never said those words to me before. And right. It was one of those moments that I think, you know, I would say at least 50% of the time someone cried, right? Whether it was me, it was the parent on the the airman right like someone had an emotional experience because or emotion tied to that moment because it was deep connection that we just don't make time for as leaders right we're so busy and so that was where i really found that my mindfulness practice allowed me to create the space for those moments that otherwise I would mind wander through, you know, in the past, I would just kind of be like, Hey, nice to meet you. Congratulations. And then it's like moving on to the next thing. And when you talk about, you know, in the military environment, in that context, someone that's going to work late because, you know, or take the mission, you know, that no one else wants to take or take the hill when you're on the deployment. When you have that type of interpersonal trust as a leader, you know, in today's world, many young people will be like, well, I know you say take the hill, but I'm going to check my phone first. And, (laughs) you know, like, what other people think and what the, you know, what's going on in the world versus I trust you. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the facts right now, but I trust you as my leader that you're making the right decision for me. And so I think mindfulness really unlocks that deeper connection and that deeper trust. Um, yeah. 
I love yeah. that you tied the connection in there too, because that was actually my next question from that opening quote was the, the power and importance of connection and can you elaborate, but you already did. So I, I love that. Very important, the yeah. trust and connection that mindfulness can foster. And that yeah, trust I'm just gonna, just, just give me one second. Yeah, so, so that trust, John, sorry. I feel like it, uh, my bad, John. It's like, Go ahead, yeah. I'm just jumping right on in that for a second. But that trust, like when we get that trust and we become more mindful, we, we get into that that self, like we're, more, and being more present, right? That's, That's super key. When we're more present, right? We're, 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 we, like people can pick up on our vibe. We're able to listen to them more intently. Therefore, we're able to hear them and therefore respond in a way, you know, that, that is, you know, like connected to connecting connection, right? To what is actually going on, to what they're actually saying. Um, yeah, so thanks for clearing that up about trust because it's just, it's so incredibly vital to the self. I, I get more courage when I'm trusted and then you can find that courage within an organization if you breed that trust. So sorry, John. I don't mean no, to I, I think Janelle was yeah. going to jump on too, so go ahead, Janelle. Okay, yeah, let's all jump on and have fun with this. <laughs> yeah, this is great. This is such a rich conversation. I love this. You know, the other part of trust that I t like to teach in my organizational workshops that we don't always discuss, and I think my Mindfulness is core to is the concept of intrapersonal trust. Like, do I yes. trust myself to That's take where a I was risk? Going. Perfect. We're on the yeah. same yeah. exactly. yeah. All of us. <laughs> That's that's where you really like you know you you have trust that you can regulate your emotions to bring your best mm -hmm. self to a moment. You trust that risk taking will lead to growth and learning, even if failure is part of that process. Um, you can also trust yourself to, and this is the hard one, and I know um, my colleague, Dr. Michael Gervais, has just written a book and it's about to come out, um, I think in November, about the concept of FOPO. Like you guys have heard of FOMO, right? Yeah. Fear of missing. <laughs> so we teach in our Warriors Edge course this concept of FOPO, which is fear of people's opinions. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, and so, I mean, one. like, yeah, yeah, that's that's powerful. Fopo, <laughs> hashtag Fopo. Anyway. And it's, it's real. And it actually, you know, Mike's book will kind of dive into some of the science we're finding behind it. But this concept is that you, you know, it's it will be a top constrictor on your ability to reach your potential if you care what other people think. And here's the part that when I point this out to people, it's like this aha moment for many of them. It's what you think other people think. Yep. Yep, we talked about though. that before. It's it's not what I think of me. It's not what I, what you think of me. It's what I think you think of me, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And you're not going to take a risk or put yourself out there or attempt something or do the right thing even in some circumstances because you don't trust yourself enough to push through those thoughts that are really meaningless in, in, an, in an intense moment. Now, it's not to say that feedback doesn't matter because feedback does and we should have some trusted individuals that give us that really raw feedback so that we aren't the emperor with no clothes <laughs> yep. that concept. But, you know, the people in the cheap seats behind keyboards or the people that are, you know, not impacting my day to day, why should I create something that they're going to think about me and then let that hold me back? Um, yeah. That's kind of the concept of self-trust. And that is one of the hardest things. So when I tell leaders, I'll give this one last example. When I teach the concept of a mental push-up, and there actually is research that 
you know, if you don't have a cell phone in a meeting, you will get 20% of everyone's attention back because even if your cell phone doesn't make a sound, you're going to constantly be distracted by the possibility of it doing mm. something. The iPhone uh, Right. Keep cell phones out of meetings. And then when you do a cognitive preparation and the form of a mindful minute before you begin, everybody brings in baggage from their last meeting, from their last phone call, from the last conversation, from their morning commute, whatever it is. The mindful minute or this cognitive preparation allows you to kind of clear your mind, just like we did at the beginning of this show, right? So that we can focus on what we're doing here in this moment and be be present. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of leaders, I'll teach them that technique and then I'll check in with them a few months later and I'll say, how are those mindful minutes going before your meetings? And they'll say something like, oh, it totally didn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, it works. I'm sh and usually when I get down to it, what happened was the leader themselves was not far along on their own mindfulness journey. And so they'll set up the mindful minute. They'll, you know, get started, close their eyes, and they open them. Right? <laughs> and they see like one guy, even though 20 people in the room are totally like doing it. And they're, even if they're not quite doing mental pushups, they all appreciate that moment for a yeah. pause. One guy over in the corner is like, you know, shifting in his chair or grimacing. Crossing, <laughs> Crossing his arms, you know, like whatever they're doing, they're shaking their head or, you know, yeah. We know as meditation teachers, right? Yeah. Like if you pay oh attention my God. Then, and then you tell yourself, oh my God, everybody hates it. When 99% of the time, it's not even about you, what was happening with that individual, right? Like it might've just been their, their thing, their moment, their personal, um, you know, like struggles of the day. Um, but then you'll never do the mindful minute again, because that will, that faux pas will get in your head and you won't trust yourself yeah. to do that right thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's the struggle. Yeah. And the, that mindful minute can come into play for leaders, but it can also come into play. Like, I don't have anybody that I'm really leading these days, right? I, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, solopreneur, but that mindful minute can still come into play because so many people are doing back to back to back to back Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. like I'll jump on a Zoom call and I'm waiting two, three, four, five minutes before the other person joins and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just wrapping up another call. When they say that, I know that they are coming into that call still thinking about that last call. Right. Mm -hmm. And their mind is not very focused. So for our audience, what I'm trying to get you all to do is maybe take a mindful five, 10 minutes between, you know, these, these calls don't, don't set up hour long zoom calls, set up 50 minute zoom calls. So you can take yeah, two or three yeah. minutes to process the one that you just did take two or three minutes to prepare for the next one and then take two or three minutes just to be right. That, and that's the yeah. thing. We don't just be often enough. We're right. constantly doing, doing, doing. And that comes back to your burnout that you were talking about at the very beginning, Janelle, um, which is what I want to talk about now is, is can you talk about the relationship between mindfulness and burnout and, and how mindfulness can be used as a tool to combat burnout in, in life, in professional and personal settings? Mm. So the way that I see burnout is Burnout is a result of your environment and whether your brain makes the calculation as to whether you have the internal resources to meet the demands of a given moment. Mm. 
And when that repetitively happens over time where your brain's like, oh, hell no, this is too much. Oh, hell no. Right? I can't manage this. I feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I feel stressed. Because honestly, stress is a perceived emotion. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. They just say, oh, I'm stressed out without really realizing what that technically means. Because stress is our, right, like our relationship with the moment and how we're perceiving our relationship with it. And do we have the resources to see it as a challenge that we're going to rise to the occasion or do we not have the resources and are we going to, you know, freak out and go into survival mode? And that's part of like the ancient mechanism of our brain that is now in this modern chaotic world. So I think a lot of people, their brains default to survival mode. And then this perception of stress is heightened because they haven't front loaded the psychological skill sets like mindfulness. And again, it's not just mindfulness is this panacea or this one magic pill, but it's I think the foundational tool, because it helps you learn how to quiet your mind, not clear your mind. And I'm sure you guys, you know, teach this as well, yeah. because that's like a fallacy, right? People are like, big time. We're still yeah. Head. yeah. So well, it's just like when they say yoga is just stretching. I mean, I've been working against that for 15 years, ever since I started <laughs> teaching. It's like yoga is not just stretching. Meditation is not eliminating your thoughts. You know, it's, anyway, sorry. Thank you for saying that. No, absolutely. Because the thing is, is that it's really, I think mindfulness helps us quiet our minds and have a different relationship with our thoughts, right? It's like, I see that thought there. And it may be a shitty thought because you're going through something really crappy, but you can say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to have a different relationship right now with that thought right now. I'm going to, I'm going to address that later because I'm going to be in the present moment because right now when I'm with my child is not the time to be worried about my to-do list for my work (laughs) schedule tomorrow. And then having the power to make those conscious choices I think is what really unlocks our potential to be our best, especially when things get tough. And so, yeah, mindfulness, you know, for, I like to say the first layer is connecting with our breath, right? Understanding the the benefits of that. But the second layer is disconnecting from thoughts, you know, and, and then the third layer is kind of actually what I call hearing your whisper, right? Hearing all the, the valuable thoughts that are in there that sometimes get drowned out by the noise of the stress in our life, the overwhelm we feel, the, you know, I say we play whack-a-mole with all of, <laughs> yeah. you know, the impending doom, you know, uh, taskers that come at us in a given day. And so we never get to like have a vision and set real goals and think strategically. All those thoughts and our inner wisdom is there. We just mm-hmm. don't hear it because it gets drowned out. So I think mindfulness helps us filter. Um, and then it helps, right? Because a lot of those noises are FOPO. Uh-huh, yeah. That yep. hold you back. A lot of the noises are your inner critic that it, that's going to tell you, like decrease your confidence in an intense moment instead of build it. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of why mindfulness, I think, is that core foundational skill set because we can learn to quiet our minds and then we can layer in a bunch of other high performance mindset skills and psychological tools to help us manage adversity and hard things, whether by chance or by choice. Yeah, the, that that inner critic, 
uh, reminds me mm. we had uh, Dr. Jim Doty on, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven months ago. And uh, in his book, Into the Magic Shop, he talks about the inner DJ, right? The inner DJ is in there playing these records that are just telling you negative things about yourself or telling you negative yeah. things that you think somebody else is thinking. And it's, it, it is incredibly powerful when you're able to notice that that inner DJ, the record that he's spinning, is false. And you can, yeah. put a, you can put, you know, stop that thing, take it off and put a new record on that tells you good things about yourself. Now, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for toxic positivity. I want to be real. But, but right. I, at the same time, we want to notice when the negative narrative that we're telling ourselves is in fact just that. It's just a story. There's not any truth to it. It's not based on anything. It's just what we feel. And it's uh, incredibly powerful to notice that and overcome it. Now you talked yeah. about um, for a second there. You talked about being a parent, and uh, you know the 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 struggles with that. I want to delve into that a little bit more because you are an entrepreneur, you are a leader, you're a devoted mother that we covered, and you know I've seen the the stuff that you've put out on social media about being a parent, and I, I've seen the pictures where you said you know you meditate on the top of a mountain there in Salt Lake City when you take your skis off, and I love that. How how do you overcome it seems as though there's tension between the multiple lives that you're living, right? The, the leader, the entrepreneur that's always wanting to do, 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 then coming back to what I was talking about before about being and being present with whatever it is, whether it's a conversation with your uh, colleagues at work or shifting to home, being present with your children or your spouse. How do you, how do you manage that and deal with that, that conflict or tension? So the basic skill set that you're talking about is, you know, being present and living where your feet are planted, um, which I did not do well for a lot of my life. Like there's this picture of me with my 15 month old daughter at the time when I got back from a deployment, you know, hugging her and I, I can still see in my eyes in that moment, like even though I just got reunited, I was back with her. It was like, okay, what's next? Mm. Yeah. Instead of this, I wish I could go back and tell her, like, just enjoy this moment, right? Like, enjoy this moment. Like, you're back home. You're with tell your daughter. Tell her, you mean telling yourself, telling the, the, the woman in the picture, not not your baby, but you. Yeah. Yes. I would tell myself in that moment, like, stop worrying, mm. you know, about mm. what's next. Or, you know, I, I think I was living my, my life stressful moment to stressful moment to stressful moment. And the inner dialogue was, well, as soon as I'm done with this deployment, I'll mm. take care of myself or I'll pay attention to my family. As soon as I'm done with this task or as soon as I'm done with this training program, as soon as I'm, but there's always something that's next. Right. And so, that's really why I'm so big on, you know, mindfulness now because I was missing the moments of joy and laughter and love. And it's not that they weren't there. They were there. I was, just, you know, mind wandering through them. So, um, so yeah, so I think that being a parent and capturing this mindfulness skill set has been very powerful in my life because it's helped me live where my feet are planted. So when I'm with my children and I'm not perfect at it, I do not sure. want to give any type of, yeah, like thought out there that, you know, I post something on social media and then it's because every moment of my life is like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. Like just like everybody on Instagram, right? Or ever else. Like it's always <laughs> nobody's sharing the shitty moments, you know? Like pictures, <laughs> yeah. That is not every moment of my life and it's still a struggle and I still work at it. But what mindfulness provides me, I would say, is more awareness when I'm not where I want to be, right? It's not that I still Mm. don't get caught up in my thoughts. I still don't get stressed or overwhelmed. Like those things still happen to me. But what my regular mindfulness practice does is that I catch it quicker so that I can reframe and redirect my and and regulate my emotions. Um, And so that's really where it becomes valuable. And then the gift I'm giving my children is teaching them about these things. I mean, I think I was 35 when I first started incorporating these skill sets into my life. And so my children know what a mindful minute is. My Even my son, if I start to get road rage, he'll be in the back seat. He's 10. He'll just, he'll be like, mom, two deep breaths. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Two deep breaths. We have this technique we call the mindset reset because the commute to school used to be chaotic, Mm. right? Whether it's, oh my God, I'm hitting every red light or you forgot your homework or the kids are bickering in the backseat or, you know, I'm running late to my next appointment, whatever it is. We started this technique as a family where before they got out of the car to go to school, we would call mindset reset in the car. We would do a mindful minute so that they get out of the car, not like anxious and stressed. They get out of the car, like calm Mm. and more focused and more present. And so, Brilliant. you know, they're getting that gift at a young age where they're incorporating these skill sets into the stressful moments in our life. Because the real triumph is not to be calm all the time. The real triumph is to do something hard, get anxious and calm yourself down in the moment so that you can perform. Right. Yeah. You. I mean, you, you, what you hit on a bunch of things it's like you know when you're coming out you know when you saw your child you know after being deployed for a while and you just came home and it's just like you're like mentally driven it's like i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta go this and it's like and the mind just has taken over um one thing we had frank anderson on he's like one of the founders or one of the big uh people in ifs internal family system and one thing that i really enjoyed he brought to the audience and i've been really leaning hard on this is the description of the self and that's where we're getting to the capital S self, getting to self energy, right? And this is what mindfulness, that's what these practices are gonna do. And then we get into self leadership, not FOPO leadership, right? But self uh, leadership. And those eight, there's eight C's of the self. Uh, and they are curiosity, connection. I'm, I'm going to get Dude, all these. I was going to say curiosity, wow, that's, that's connection. <laughs> you're, you're just messing me up, John. Quite, give me a sec. All right, <laughs> curiosity, connection, clarity, calm, compassion, confidence, and uh, courage. Right? Those are the eight well C's done. of the self. And we, well yeah, done. when we, when we, yeah, and we, the only way we can possibly experiencing those eight C's is getting quiet, taking those breaths, becoming more mindful and practicing. This is what's nice is those else, those eight C's of the self are already in there. Like it's, it's packed in there as part of our DNA, but because of all like the to-do list and all this, you know, things that all the FOPO and everything else that we think we need to be and who we need to be and all the things that we need to do, it just puts these layers of stress and expectations and anxiety over top of that self, puts us in the mind, deeply into the mind, which only knows what future and past thinking, which is driven by anxiety or stress or guilt or something like that, versus like taking a breath, 
dropping into the moment. You can hear those whispers and you get used to more of those whispers, more of those voices as you drop in and meditate. And then you get that trust and we get into self-leadership and then you just become a badass wherever you go, you know, <laughs> just like, <laughs> so I just wanted to put that out there because like that's, it was such a great distinction for me when I, when Dr. Frank came on and helped us understand that self. It's like, it's there, it's there. We just need to use tools like this, like you're talking about these this, these mental push-ups uh, or these mindful push-ups in order to get to that self. Because um, just waiting, you know, all of this brilliance is just waiting to come out. So. Um, and one segue into the Rolling Stone story, I know <laughs> that was a question you had, because I think you encapsulated it very well there you know, I like to think you have to know yourself to lead yes. yourself and then to lead mm -hmm. others. And we, a lot of times just jump into like, okay, you're a leader, lead, lead other people. That's what leadership means. Well, right. no, actually it doesn't. Like leadership means that you've led yourself first, but you can't lead yourself first unless you know, yeah, right? Yes. Your limitations and what your struggles are and how you're building the right skill sets to kind of be the example um, to create the culture you want. And in that aspect of leading yourself first and knowing yourself, right? The awareness. And I love all those C's. I'm going to have to like check out. Um, I'll send them to you. I'll send them to you. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I love it. When you're, you're kind of touted, like, you know, listing all those C's, it made me think of, you know, mindfulness was not like the answer to how I was able to navigate that stressful situation in Syria and be a leader and, you know, mm. lead this team and come up with this creative, innovative idea. Um, it were, it was all those things together because I knew myself enough to step forward and take the risk. I knew yes. myself enough to lead a team through a challenging environment and you know the core of that story and and i'll let your your you know listeners can look it up and, and read all the details but the core was that it was a unsolvable problem right syria was not a friendly country they were you know in the middle of a civil war there were a lot of rogue bad actors and they had significant amounts of chemical weapon precursors. So there were 1,200 metric tons of sarin gas precursors, which. Uh oh. And right in like minutes, you saw, I mean, a lot of us saw those images splashed on CNN where, I mean, it's not a pleasant way to die. And over 1,400 civilians died very quickly when the government used these chemicals. Mm. on the civilian population and so the international community had to do something and but it was a very complex scenario and at the time i was leading the team that was kind of the brain trust of what if scenarios in syria which never went no one ever thought would ever play out which is i think why i got the job um <laughs> so you, you mentioned that in the in the article it says like I think you had just had done three back-to-back -back, back hard jobs and you're just coming off maternity leave and your boss was like, hey, why don't you just take this job? Nothing's happening over there. Don't worry about it. It's going to be easy. It's going to be a cakewalk. And what did you walk into this? <laughs> it was, yeah. And from someone that I was a trained strategist and I could solve big problems, but I knew nothing. I want to be very clear about 
combating weapons of mass destruction and chemical weapons in particular. So, but I soon learned that anyone that was an expert in chemical weapons didn't even want to touch this mission with a 10 foot pole because there, there was no answer to it, right? Like every conventional way that we could think of to handle or solve the problem, there was a barrier, there was, you know, some type of lymphac and it was unsolvable in many people's minds until we came up with this innovative option of destroying these chemicals on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean, which everybody hated. And so, yeah, like if you want to talk about being in the midst of the government bureaucracy with the great idea that you knew would solve this crisis because you were the one that had studied it for so long, but being told at every turn that it was the dumbest idea and it would never work, but yet still, right, having the courage, having the self-trust, having like the presence of mind to continue to lead in that environment. And I'm not going to um, downplay the leadership I had at the time that created space for that, because I have to be honest, like I had two great supervisors um that allowed us they were told to stop talking about this and you know kind of ordered to not talk about what we called the ship option but <laughs> they allowed us wow. to like throw papers on people's desks at the pentagon and talk about it as much as we wanted you know to get the word out there that we had this solution um and then you know like th our, the, the other arc of our story is the fact that not only were we underestimated and dismissed but our idea was was eventually used and it worked and you know everybody else took the credit and not that it's about credit but i think there's this unique story of these women that were in this engine room driving this you know international um crisis and solving the problem for it that i think is really unique and interesting for other young women to understand that they can stand up for themselves, they can come up with creative ideas and they can get through the mental blocks that really hold many of us back from doing great things because I'm not unique or special. Like I just happened yes, to- Oh, yeah, I think you are too. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Honestly, like as, as far, I'm a human being just like anyone else that struggles with the same things. It's just that I built some psychological skill sets to help me manage in those high pressure moments to get to the other side. Awesome. And I want everyone else to have that too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I've told you this before when, when I was working with Veterans Path, when we were working with Veterans Path, but before you came on with Veterans Path and I interviewed you and you said something about when you were younger, I, I think your father had seen a, a magazine with, uh, I think it was a submarine on the cover, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And you said when you were young, I want to be in the military. I may be messing the story up, but something to the effect of your dad said, you can do anything that you want to. And I use that story with my little girl now. You know, mm. I've got two little girls now since the last time we spoke. So six, six, four and two with a little boy in the middle. Um, and I tell my little girls they can do anything. And I show them pictures of highly successful women. I won't even use the word highly successful. I'll just say badass. And one of them is, there you, mom. Go. you know, my, their mom is a badass. She was uh, at SEAL Team 10 with me and uh, I, she's way more badass than I am uh, or ever was. <laughs> but uh, but I use pictures of you as well and, and some others as examples uh, of, of strong of strong women who can do anything that they set their mind to. And I love that uh, that you have that as a story that you can tell your kids. Um, and I know they've read the, the 
the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone article because I remember them holding up the magazine uh, on social media. So um, let's see, where should we go? I want to talk, I do, I can't not talk about the the machete juggling. <laughs> tell us tell us about that right, mindfulness. Let's dive in there. Yeah, we'll I mean, talk about that courage. Is mindfulness right there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yes, the Rolling Stone reporter had found um, this little known fact in my history where when I was 15 years old, um, I was Miss Teen California. And my talent for that particular pageant was to twirl one baton, two batons, and then two machetes. Um, <laughs> to the theme song from Robin Hood, which was you know big back then. Oh my the gosh! 90s. Please tell me that there's video of this somewhere. <laughs> we have to find it. There is video. There is video. Yes, yes. There's some video. How did you decide upon that as your as your Yeah, how did you get into machete? (laughs) And wait, wait, what kind of parenting is going on in that house? If they're like, Yeah, absolutely, Janelle, go juggle some uh, you know, machetes. But anyway, sorry. (laughs) So okay, so backing up when I was a younger kid, I was a ballerina and a gymnast and eventually a baton twirler. Like I was a competitive baton twirler. I would go to the national championship every summer at Notre Dame University. Um, Probably from like about eight to 15, I was really dedicated to this baton twirling sport. And so that's why, and the the cover of the magazine my dad saw, it had this um, army tank commander, it had an Air Force fighter pilot, and then it had a Navy submarine warfare commander on the cover of it. And my dad was just like, why couldn't a woman do any mm. of those things, right? Because that was in the 80s and women couldn't. And so that's kind of what started that conversation. And he would tell anyone that would listen when I'd be holding his hand, walking into the grocery store, you know, my little daughter here, even though I'm in my tutu, you know, she's going to be <laughs> a pilot or a submarine warfare commander someday. And right, that like really set the tone to tell me I could do or be anything I wanted. I didn't understand that society was going to put limits on it at the time. And um, so, yeah, so I, I ended up doing all these baton twirling competitions. And then when I got into high school, I told my mom, like, oh, I want to do other things, you know, and, and at my high school team, because baton twirling is a slow, solo venture, right? Like it was it was, you know, I just did it myself and we had to travel a lot for these competitions. And my mom was like, well, you're going to use this skill set somewhere else. So she's <laughs> like, you have to go to this like count, you know, county pageant was where it started. And I ended up winning that and then winning the state. And um, we wanted to do my baton twirling teacher at the time was like, we have to do something unique, you know, not just twirl your baton. So that's where she was like, what do you think of machetes? <laughs> um, so that's how that ended up. And I will say at the national pageant, I was at a disadvantage because they did the Miss Teen USA pageant that year on a cruise ship. Oh, I had to perform my talent like on one of the most rocky days oh, at wow. sea. So yeah, imagine. Did you ever get hurt doing that? No, no, not, I didn't. <laughs> I can't imagine that, that's crazy. You got all your limbs, right? Let me see your hands, <laughs> your hands right? <laughs> I'm gonna have to search the internet, the interwebs for that video somehow. <laughs> all right, so let me get back on track because that's just so great. I couldn't, I couldn't not ask that, but let's come back to the, the topic at hand. The, the mindfulness and for for leaders, let's kind of wrap it up in a nice bow. For for leaders who want to bring practices in, again, 
I think we've touched a little bit on this, but if somebody's just tuning in right now live or if they're just tuning in for the, the podcast, what is a way that they can introduce to their team mindfulness and then um, I guess what does it do for the team? And then last piece, how is that measured? Because you know, as a leader, you, you're always showing metrics, right? Well, what metrics are you measuring to show that these mindfulness practices are working? So I've worked over the last five years since I've started my my business and started this work and making the case for training your mind um, individually and organizationally. Um, I've worked with many leaders from, you know, I started off with real high performance teams. So military, healthcare, first responders, athletes, people who had extreme consequences right on the line with their work. However, after COVID, everybody really needs these skill sets. It has become kind of a universal concern. And many leaders today, what I hear all the time is that they they're worried about performance, which obviously matters in companies, right? You the the productivity, these, you know, end results and outcomes matter. But leaders are also worried about the well-being, right? And the, the, this care and feeding of their employees because they know that when an employee has a great work life, when an employee feels empowered and feels present and feels high performing, they're going to do more or, you know, like they're going to perform better for the organization as a whole. So, right, it, it's like, how do you build performance enhancing skills that also enhance that thriving and well being for the individual? And they're all rooted in this concept, I truly believe, of incorporating not just training your mind, but along with training your craft and along with training your body on equal footing, incorporating a deliberate and intentional focus on training your mind. And so, you know, leaders are looking for ways to invest in that. They're looking for ways to you know, I would say the only way it's going to take hold in your culture is if you create the, the space for investing in psychology of your employees and then creating an environment around sustaining the development and practice of the skill sets. And that's where it gets really, really hard for people. Um, you know, you had said something about burnout earlier and I meant to say, you know, Solving for burnout is not just giving people a mental health day. Solving for burnout is not taking that retreat once a year where you fish on the lake and feel fully present and engaged, right? Like solving for burnout is creating sustainable ways to incorporate training of your mind and your daily routine and creating an environment that's conducive to that, right? If you have a toxic boss, I can, you do yoga all day and meditate all I want. I'm still going to be burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed at work. Sure. Right? Right. I might be able to manage it a little better, but the environment hasn't changed. And I think that's what like leaders get wrong sometimes because they're like, I'm giving people mental health days. Like what's wrong? And then I'll also talk to them and I'll say, well, well, when you send an email at like 1 a.m. on Saturday, what is your expectation? Then they're yeah. like, well, it's who writes me back. <laughs> yeah. They right. Burn out. You know? Yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's a lot about um, uh, investing in psychology to unlock potential and setting the right tone as the leader to create the culture and environment that allows the space for it. 
Right on. Yeah, but that, that just gives us, leads us right into a shameless plug. Like we're actually working with a company down in the Carolinas <laughs> from a listener from our show. And we're implementing a mindfulness, a whole well-being and mindfulness program into this company. We do like breath work every week. We have one-on-ones. We have other programming that we plug in every month. And like, I mean, again, it's coming from the leadership. The leadership is part of, 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 uh, of these trainings as well. And everybody is just like, it's amazing. We're getting grounded we're, we're understanding these are wonderful tools i just got a you know a, a, a quick text from one of my um students yesterday from this from this uh it's called hmi this company and he's like hey i'm gonna i'm, I'm meeting all these engineers and i'm gonna need a pitch to them i need to calm down like what can you tell me to do and i just like that from a quick voice text and be like hey just do this before i go in so it's like it really makes a big difference and i love that you hit on you know it has to come not just the idea of mindfulness maybe not just those one minute like it before you start a meeting but like incorporating it in to you know the ethos into the ecosystem and the environment within the company and you can really start to make a difference and it just starts slow i mean it's not like one week or one month is going to make a difference but over time like everybody starts to wake up a little bit everyone start we develop more of that trust we develop more better communication better listening all starts to happen all those indicators start to rise when you begin to practice together as a company so anyway shameless plug if you guys need anyone out there listening <laughs> i hit john or i up we'll gladly um work with you and talk with you about bringing up uh you know, a mindfulness program I'll into just, your uh, company. I'll just add to that. That CEO is a Naval Academy graduate. So just uh, just say <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but, I didn't know but that. Now, okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. But yeah, he's actually a classmate <laughs> of mine. Uh, so also. No, one, uh, one, one thing though, John, just because yeah. you asked me about metrics, which I yeah. think. Yeah, you, great. Thanks for circling back to that. Yeah, play into your plug as well. Um, you know, we're in the business of prevention, really, yeah. right? Like preventing people from having suicidal ideations, preventing people from choosing maladaptive coping to the stress and adversity they face in their life. And that is a really, really hard thing to measure, you know? And I think that's why the investment in psychology, the investment in training the mind has been slow. Um, There are leaders out there, that's why I have a job, you guys have a job, you know, because there are leaders that are, they get it. You know, they understand that this is the next frontier. It doesn't matter if you have the best fighter plane or the best, you know, product out on the market. If the people behind it aren't clear with their mind and disciplined and focused and highly productive and high performing, you're you're missing out on max performing or optimizing that performance for your organization. And so people are understanding the investment, but it is taking time to really demonstrate because it's cultural, right? And culture does not change overnight. So it's taking time to really show the the larger effects. But I do think we take, we could take both subjective and objective data from a lot of organizations after our interventions. And with Mm -hmm. Warriors, we have found that you know, 90% after they get introduced to mindfulness and the way that we teach it, because some people will find it other ways and it just doesn't click. Um, We have this warrior athlete model that we tend to use that's very, that resonates. And, you know, 90% of people in these organizations are continuing to use mindfulness or the mindful minute is something that, wait, I could do that. Like you're not telling me to sit on a cushion for 20 minutes every morning to get my mindfulness. Okay. Well, like, I can do that, then I can do a minute or I can, 
create space for that. Um, and then we're also finding that it's not that people's stress is being decreased, but their perception mm-hmm. of yep, stress in Mm, and right. so, yeah, and then when you look at an organization's metrics, like when I did this with my squadron, you know, we won all these awards and we were able to um, uh, like individual awards, team awards, right? Like take this, take our squadron to this new level of doing innovative things, kind of like that Syria mission. And if you look at those types of metrics and outcomes as well from organizations, you will see that when people are feeling better and more focused, the organization will pro- will also um, reach the outcomes that matter. Yeah, awesome. Well, love it. Jumping from one shameless plug to another, uh, for you, Janelle, how can people <laughs> find you? How can people find out more about what it is you're doing and what are some projects that you're working on uh, that are coming up? I mean, I know that you mentioned potentially the movie or at least I mentioned that. <laughs> uh, what else? What else is going on and how can people find you? Yeah, so I have a website, JanelleMcCauley.com, which uh, shares all of the work that I do. I do uh, keynote speeches at conferences, or I do workshop engagements with leadership teams and organizations. You can find information about that on my website. Um, Additionally, I'm happy to link in with anyone, or um, you can find me on social media. However, I have a very, very healthy relationship with social media. Um, So, you know, I would love to hear from people and, and how they are are on their journeys and if the, this is impactful to them. Um, but, you know, don't be offended if I don't respond to a comment or an email, because again, <laughs> um, I try to have create a lot of space in my life for, Good for um, being present. Yeah. So yeah, please feel, feel free to reach out in any way. Warrior's Edge, if you Google my name and, the, and Warrior's Edge, you can find more information about that. Um, uh, program and how we can bring it to your team. We also have a digital version that you can sign up for and take yourself online at, in a self-paced way. There's about eight hours of curriculum and 16 principles of mindset we, we train and teach. Um, and then lastly, I've got some big projects in the work works. I'm, I'm working on my book. Um, so go. I'm hoping that that's going to um, be coming out in the new future. And I've got a couple other um projects to include one with with headspace that yeah that's exciting good for you oh, that. yeah, that's great future yeah. yeah very excited for all of this i just i feel very grateful every day my my purpose statement would be i want to help people achieve peak performance with a focus on passion purpose and presence and if i get to do that every day whether it's the little people in my life and my kids and my and my you know spouse making us better and stronger or working with people like you and the teams out there it just is you know um where i find purpose and i love it awesome awesome well janelle like like we opened the show well first off thank you for sharing that uh and i'm sure our audience will seek you out uh for your guidance and your experience and as we open the show with a an opening practice would like to turn it over to you to run our audience through and and me and will through a closing practice if you would yes in fact i would love to do a mindful minute and teach the technique of the mental push-up so what i'm going to ask you to do for this entire minute is just anchor on a sensation of your breathing maybe the way the air goes in and out of your nostril or the rise or fall of your belly or chest but focus on that sensation for the entire minute 
in the span of the minute, your mind will wander, right? A thought will pop into your head. So what I want you to think about is your attention system is like a flashlight and it's focused on your breath until that thought pops in your head. When it starts chasing the thought, I want you to acknowledge the thought, release it and redirect your attention system back to your breathing. Every time you lose focus and redirect it back, it's like doing a mental push-up. So we're gonna do that for one minute. All right, ready? Let's take a nice big deep breath. As you exhale, I want you to think about relaxing through your shoulders, but lifting through your head. Every time your attention system chases a thought, we'll redirect back to that breathing. Ready and begin. And stop. All right. Maybe you did like five put mental push-ups, maybe 60. It's totally cool to practice <laughs> while everybody. And a lot of people tend to go, oh my gosh, my mind is so busy. Like I had so many thoughts. And the talking point shouldn't be, I suck at this, therefore I should never do it. Right. But right. it could be, wow, my mind is busy. Maybe this skill set can help me out. Absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you, my FOPO was kicking in big time. I'm like, Oh, what if people are tuning in right now and they're seeing us and the three <laughs> of us too. are sitting here? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like dead like, air in a podcast. Like, what in the you world know? is this podcast all about? It's just three people sitting there. <laughs> hey, Janelle. Know what? There are a lot of people that get uncomfortable with yeah. that, which is why I was like, just do it for one minute. Right. We have to get comfortable with that parasympathetic activation. So yeah, For sure. Yeah. Janelle, uh, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I know uh, Will and I got a ton out of it. And for the three, three people that tuned in, <laughs> no, hopefully it's more than three uh, that tuned in, I know they got a lot out of it too. So thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, we, uh, we appreciate everything that you're doing here today and everything that you're doing in your daily life. This is awesome. You're changing people's lives and, uh, and really making a positive impact on, on the planet. Uh, and I know that sounds big, hairy, and audacious, but that's what you're doing. So I love Thank it. Keep you. doing it. Keep doing it. For our audience, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you got anything out of this, and I know you did, please share it. Share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever else you think needs to hear it. And until next time, take care. Yeah. Thank Peace. you. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.